Pastor Laren is back with us again this morning. We're thankful that he comes and joins us and fellowships with us and delivers God's message to us. So, good morning. Good morning. Our thanks to the worship team for leading us in our opening songs of prayer and praise and thanksgiving to God for his goodness and faithfulness to us. And thank you for the invitation to uh, join with you in worship this morning. Our theme is going to be Worship the Lord, and it's based on Psalm 96. I'll read that uh, psalm with you at this time. It's a song of thanksgiving and praise to God for his blessings and goodness to us. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people with his faithfulness. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, several years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of participating in a study tour in Italy entitled The Gospel Comes to Italy. It was led by uh, Dr. Jeffrey Weima from Calvin Seminary. And one of the things we discovered on that trip was how communication technology has advanced to the point where the life that we live on this earth is radically different than it was a number of years ago. We were able to talk to family members back in the United States by telephone without any difficulty or problem at all. And while in Rome, most of the television programs were in Italian, there was one CNN station in English that we could watch from time to time to catch up with the news that was taking place here in the United States. Today, households, companies, schools, organizations, businesses, and corporations use the World Wide Web as their primary means of communication for advertising, for sending and receiving messages, for gathering and displaying information. The World Wide Web has surpassed television, radio, and newspapers as the primary means of communication in our world today. What if you could come overcome all the limitations, all the uh, difficulties of communication and speak a message that was worthy for everyone in the entire world to hear? What if you could speak a language 
that everyone could understand and could communicate something that everyone would need to know and appreciate in order to have fullness and joy in life. What kind of message would you want to communicate? Long ago, a man of faith issued such a call. He lived in a small country, spoke only one of the world's languages, and yet he offered a message that he wanted everybody to hear. He longed for everyone to hear this message because it was so important and vital for their life and for their well-being and for their happiness. The message that he recorded is given to us this morning in Psalm 96. Listen to what he wrote. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. The psalmist begins by saying, sing to the Lord, praise his name. He didn't stand on a mountain and shout all of that at the top of his lungs so that everyone could hear. He was speaking to his fellow human beings, and yet he longed for the entire world to hear the message that he was sharing with them. He felt like that other Old Testament prophet who once cried out at the top of his lungs, O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. The psalmist begins by summoning the people to worship the Lord. He urged them to sing to the Lord, to bless his name, to praise him, to fear him. He wanted them to ascribe glory and praise to God, to give him the honor that is due to his name, to bring an offering and come into his courts to worship in the splendor of his holiness. So overcome was he with the majesty of God's greatness and God's worthiness and God's power and God's love that he wanted the entire world to hear this wonderful message that he had to share. He longed to see every heart and every voice lifted in reverent devotion and praise to God. Worship the Lord. What did Jesus have to say about worship? You remember the conversation that he had with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Yet a time is coming, and now is, when true worshipers of the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth, for they are the ones the Father seeks. God is worthy of our worship. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. When speaking of worship, the New Testament uses a word that means to kiss toward. It's used 60 times as a verb and once as a noun. There are many illustrations of people who put that into practice in the pages of the scripture. Going back to the time when Jesus was born, not long after that time, the wise men traveled a long distance to come to Bethlehem so that they could bow down and worship and present the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There were many other disciples. There was a leper. There was a synagogue official. The disciples worshipped Jesus when they were on the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And a storm came up, and Jesus quieted the winds and the waves. And the disciples were amazed, and they said, Surely this is the Son of God. 
a Canaanite woman worshipped him, and asked Jesus to heal her daughter who was possessed with evil spirits, and, and Jesus listened to her request and accepted her worship and healed her daughter. The mother of the sons of Zebedee worshipped Jesus. But she had something else in her mind as well. She asked that her two sons might be given places of prominence in the kingdom of God. The man who lived among the tombs, possessed by evil spirits, cried out to Jesus for healing. And Jesus listened to his anguish and heard his prayer and drove out those evil spirits and brought freedom and deliverance to him. After Jesus' resurrection, you remember how the disciples met with Jesus on the, on the mount as they were preparing for that time when Jesus would ascend from the into the clouds and go back to heaven. And they stood there in awe and amazement at the victory that Jesus had won through his perfect life and atoning death and glorious resurrection, and they bowed down and worshipped him. The word for worship is sometimes translated as bow down. To bow down before God means to indicate our willingness to give him the honor and the glory and the majesty and the praise that he truly deserves. It is to humble ourselves in his presence. The Apostle Paul prayed, I bow my knees before the Father. That is worship, and that is God's will for us, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What are some of the aspects of worship? There are four that are prominently mentioned in Psalm 96. And I'd like to reflect upon them for a few moments with you this morning. First of all, there must be a proclamation of the word of God. The psalmist says in verses 2 and 3, Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all the peoples. The preaching and teaching of God's word should be one of the primary reasons why we gather together on Sunday to bring our worship and praise to God. It honors God when we open his word and look at it together and reflect upon its meaning and apply the meaning of the scriptures to our hearts and lives. That's one of the basic reasons why we gather here to worship. The preaching and teaching of God's word should encourage our hearts to worship and praise God. It honors him when we open his word and listen carefully to what he says to us. Explaining what the Bible says and means is an essential act of worship. Paul said to Timothy, Until I come, devote yourself to the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. The message that we proclaim is a message of salvation. The facts of the gospel are clear. God created you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. But something has gone wrong. I don't care who you are. Your life in your own strength is not what it can be in the strength of God. You have short-circuited his plan for your life. You are incomplete. The Bible says all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. There's no way of ducking around that verse. There's no way of ignoring it because it applies to every single one of us gathered here. Have you taken the time to read those words and apply them to yourself? When the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, it means physical death. It also means spiritual death. It involves an alienation beyond this life, for the Bible says that you are an immortal person. You will never truly die. That's the bad news. But there's also good news. And the good news of the gospel is this. The Bible says God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus went to the cross. He literally took upon himself your sin and mine. He went to that cross so that he could bear the punishment of God against our sin in order that we might be delivered from it. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead victor over sin and death and, and the grave, so that all who believe and trust in him can have the assurance of sins forgiven and life everlasting. And whenever that gospel is proclaimed, there should always be that invitation to people to respond, to listen to that gospel and to apply it to their lives and to accept the claims of Christ on our lives. And right now, as that gospel has been explained to you once again in the, the very basic terms, Jesus is inviting you to come into your heart and into your life. He wants to come in so that he can cleanse you from your sin and make you all that he wants you to be. He wants you to be a son and daughter, a member of his family, to experience all the joy and happiness that only he can give. While we listen to that message again, won't you respond by saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life and cleanse me from my sin and make me your child. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want you to be the Lord and master of my life. I want to worship you with my whole being. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Another essential element of worship is prayer. We worship God when we talk to him in praise, in adoration, in thanksgiving, in petition. All of that is part of what we do when we gather to worship and praise God. We communicate with him first by listening to what he has to say to us, but also by sharing with him what is on our hearts and our minds. There is no true worship without communication, without dialogue with God. Verses 7 and 8 of this psalm talks about that. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name. Prayer is an essential part of worship, not an option for just a select few. It's true that some may lead us in prayer as we gather for worship, but they don't do that simply for themselves. They do it for the entire body of believers who are gathered as we offer our 
communal prayers to God, giving thanks and praise for his goodness and, and imploring for his grace and blessing in our lives and in the lives of others. All who come to worship must be open to not only hearing God's word, but also sharing with our hearts what is on our minds and bringing that in prayer to Jesus. Someone has said, much prayer, much power. No prayer, no power. Prayer was as much a part of the apostolic ministry of the disciples as was the preaching and teaching of God's word. And when we gather together in God's house to worship, prayer must always be an essential part of what we do here in this place. We must really want to pray, and we must want to pray sincerely from our hearts, sharing with God the innermost thoughts and feelings and, and concerns and needs, as well as giving thanks and praise to him for his bountiful blessings. When a church ceases to depend upon prayer, God ceases to bless the ministry of that church. Our times of prayer must be frequent. It's not limited to the time that we spend together in this place of worship. We must get together to pray at other times and in other places as well. Personal prayer, family prayer, small groups that gather together to worship and praise God by means of prayer, all of those things enhance our faith and draw us closer to each other and make us into a family, the family of God. Bill and Gloria Gaither have written a song entitled The Family of God that provides a helpful illustration of what prayer can mean in the life of us as individuals and as families and as a church family. A young couple in their Indiana church fellowship, Ron and Darlene Gardner, had three children. It was the Saturday after Good Friday, and Ron was working at the garage where he was a mechanic. He was working alone because he was making up for some time that he had taken off the previous Thursday to take his young daughter into the hospital for some tests prior to some anticipated heart surgery that she needed. He knew that they would need the money for doctor and medical bills. And while Ron was working in that garage by himself, there was an explosion. He managed to push his way out of the large double doors and, and get out of that building before it blew up into flames. But Ron was severely burned over much of his body. The news from the emergency ward at the hospital in Muncie, Indiana, was indeed rather pessimistic. Ron was still alive, but they didn't know if he would make it. They encouraged everybody to offer their prayers for this young father who was so dearly loved by the congregation and, and so dearly needed by his family. And so the community of faith responded to that call to prayer and they gathered together in small groups, in homes, at the church, over the telephone, all over town, people who knew Ron and Darlene began to pray earnestly for Ron, asking that God would heal him and, and spare his life. 
By evening, the word came back that even though the doctors said that Ron was still alive and were rather surprised that he had lasted as long as he did, now that he had lived eight hours, perhaps there was a chance, perhaps there was a chance that this young father would be able to survive this horrendous accident and his life would be spared. That news was passed along to the family of God. And the community kept on praying. Children prayed in their homes in simple faith and trust. Women prayed as they went about the activities of caring for their families. Men prayed to gather in basements over store counters and in their automobiles. And the church building was kept open all through the night so that people could come at any time of the night and offer their prayers for Ron and for his family during this very critical and difficult time. And through the night, people responded to that call. And they came to church as well as in their own homes to talk to Jesus about this young father who was bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh. The sun streamed in the windows on that Easter morning, a sanctuary that was filled with the most weary, bleary-eyed people that you've ever seen. There were a few Easter bonnets or bright new outfits. Gloria said, Gaither says, we were just there drawn to gather closer than we had ever been before by the reality of what we had been sharing as a community. That when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. Nobody felt like celebrating, even though it was an Easter Sunday. There was hurt. There was pain in the body. And that pain had affected everyone who had gathered there that day for worship. And then the service began, and the pastor had an announcement to share. He told the congregation that Ron has outlived the deadline that the doctors had originally suggested might be the case. They think now that he has a chance. They're going to begin treatment. And for the body of Christ, that was the best news that they could possibly hear. That news was better than eight hours of sleep and a good breakfast. New life was infused and, and praise and adoration began to flow as, as the congregation offered their prayers of thanksgiving to God for the way in which Ron's life had been spared up to this point and prayers that that would continue to be the case so that full healing and health and recovery might be his. That entered into the songs of Easter that they shared together that day. The group gathered for that Easter service knew that long, hard days for Ron and the family were only just beginning. The body, the community of faith, would be called upon to help care for the children, to provide long trips to the hospital, to offer pints of blood for the transfusions that Ron would have to have, and, and help with transportation and with meals and in other ways as that slow skin grafting and healing process took place in the weeks and months ahead. We knew what it would mean. But in our celebration, we pledged ourselves 
to do whatever it would take to make that injured part of the body whole and well again. And on their way home from church that Sunday, Bill and Gloria, so full of what had happened that day, could hardly speak. And finally, one of them said to the other, you know what? They do that same thing for us too. It was almost too good for them to imagine. They weren't ideal church members because their work often took them out of town. They made travels throughout the country, uh, engaging in concerts in various places. They weren't really part of that community on a regular basis, but they were still part of the body, part of the church. Not because they were worthy or had earned any special favor or treatment or because they were indispensable, but just because they were part of the family of God. They, too, were important. Gloria went on to describe how when they started dinner, Bill sat down at the piano and began to play a song. The children were quiet because they knew that a song was about to be born. And it wasn't long before the magnetism of the chorus that, that Bill was singing drew Gloria from her kitchen duties to the piano. And we finished that song together that was to feed us better than any song could possibly have fed us. It goes like this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. You will notice we say brother and sister around here. That's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king, no longer an outcast, but a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here. But praise God, I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. And what Gloria Gaither says about her own church is true of her Hope Church too, isn't it? None of us has it all together. Each one of us is incomplete in and of ourselves. But it is our privilege to be part of a family, the family of God, that faithfully lifts up the needs of one another in prayer before the throne of grace. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let me quickly mention two more elements of worship that are found in this particular psalm. Music is also an essential part of our worship experience. Psalm 96 begins, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Shout his salvation from day to day. We must recognize the importance of music when we gather together to worship God. It pleases him to hear you sing songs of praise, whether you are able to sing on key or not. The Christian church should be a singing church. 
congregations, praise teams, individuals singing from their hearts and giving praise and worship to God in song, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And that brings us to the fourth essential element of worship, is, and that is giving. The psalmist talks about that in verse 8. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Giving our gifts and offerings to God is also an act of worship. We don't give because the church needs money, although the church does need money, and we ought to do our part. But the primary reason we give is out of worship out of adoration and praise to God. This is what God desires of us. This is what God expects of us as his people. He pours out his blessings upon us so that we in turn can share those blessings and give back for the work of Christ and his church and his kingdom. We give in order to worship and praise the Lord. And if that motivation would begin to capture our hearts and our minds there would not be the kind of need for emotional pleas for money to do this or that in order to meet this or that need. The congregation should be excited about the opportunity and the privilege of bringing their gifts and offerings to the service of God. And Paul wrote about that kind of giving in the New Testament as well. Each of you should give as he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And the word for cheerful in that verse is, related, is, is translated in our English as hilarity. Christian giving should be characterized by joy. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The preaching of God's word always calls for a response from the people of God. Psalm 96 is a call to worship. And the response that God seeks from his people is a recommitment to worship. A recommitment to making worship a priority in our hearts, in our lives, and in the life of Hope Church. Won't you make that your commitment today? Say to the Lord, and say it from your heart, I promise to gather faithfully with God's people from Sunday to Sunday in order that I may listen to and hear the proclamation of God's word and in order that I may offer my prayers and my praise and my gifts of love. I recommit myself to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And all God's people said, Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm that talks to us about what worship is all about and how you call us to gather from Sunday to Sunday to listen to God's word, to offer our prayers and our praise and our gifts of love, so that we may give to you the honor and the glory and the praise that truly you deserve. 
Help us to take these words of the psalmist and apply them to our lives. Help us to recommit ourselves to being faithful worshipers who take seriously the challenge of worship by listening to your word, by offering our prayers and our praise and our gifts of love so that this church may grow and be advanced and your name and honor may be exalted. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.